Good day and welcome to Season 9 of Film Exploration with Ash Harry, where this season we'll be looking at films that have won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And for today's episode, we'll be looking at one of the most popular films at the turn of the millennium, and that is the Oscar-winning epic Gladiator, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix, Connie Nelson, Oliver Reed and Richard Harris. A general who becomes a slave, a slave that became a gladiator, the gladiator who defied an empire. This film is as popular as it is exhilarating. The film that everybody was talking about at the time, the ridiculous budget, the rewrites of the script, the sudden death of Oliver Reed, the controversy and rise of Russell Crowe, and of course the stamp that Ridley Scott put on Hollywood as one of the best auteurs in the game. Not to mention a movie about a Roman Empire where gladiators fought for entertainment value, a film that was done before time and time again and done with rising popularity in the 50s and 60s, but never to this extent and money behind it where it was done with the hype, the money and Hollywood backing of a studio, bringing the best that they had to offer at that time. The reputation of that certain hybrid genre of this Roman Empire backdrop has proven to be successful of the older generation. It was needed... You know, it needed a much-needed revival without trying to adapt or make sequels of films like Ben-Hur or Spartacus or even, the, you know, The Thunder of Battle. I mean, right now, they've already remade two of those, so that was wishful thinking back in 2000. Really, Scott created something original with the same backdrop used by those classics in the 1960s. Ridley was slated by Harrison Ford for not advising how to act um, or how to make him act on Blade Runner and simply said that he was far too interested on how everything looked. Something Harrison Ford famously said on the set of Blade Runner. And this is part of Ridley Scott's genius as a director to how things look. No one in 1999 thought they would imagine seeing the Coliseum being packed with fans cheering at gladiators fighting against tigers or each other. I mean, I was reading that a total of five tigers was used for that iconic scene where Russell Crowe is fighting the tigers. And the tigers are actually surrounding him. I mean, they had veterinarians on standby with tranquilizer guns just in case. And for the safety of Russell Crowe, who was allowed no closer than 15 feet to any of the tigers. I mean... Crazy, but yet effective. So the film opens up with Russell Crowe as a general in the opening battle, which was shot in Bournewood in Surrey, not too far from where I live, actually. And he had real bruises and stitches on his face, if you remember correctly. And it's kind of a nice, like, um, add-on to, you know, how much he's been through and how much he's gone through to get where he is right now, even though we're at the start of the movie. And these are in actual fact real um, when Russell Crowe was doing um, real bruises and cuts on Russell Crowe's face, because during rehearsals, um, he was riding around a house, I think it was his own house, and it got startled um, when he was riding a horse, and it threw him off into a tree branch, scratching his entire face, and I think we can agree it does make him look more authentic as a Roman general, so all those bruises and cuts you see on his face at the start of the movie are in fact real, because a horse threw him into a bush, but yeah, so... Two things I learned from this movie, only recently because I have an Italian girlfriend, were the famous score for the movie for Hans Zimmer. If you remember, there is a woman singing and it's beautiful. You hear several times in the movie and it's just one of the best singing you've ever heard. So that's sung in Italian. And because of it, this was Hans Zimmer's most sold movie score in history. And if you know Hans Zimmer, he's got quite the CV in film. He's scored, but yes... According to my girlfriend, it turns out that she is speaking Italian, yes, which I was like, okay, fine, that makes sense because it's set in Rome, but she is speaking complete gibberish. And Ridley Scott knew this and simply said, I don't care. 
I mean, it sounds beautiful. She's basically just mumbling nothing, kind of like how Steve Carell does in Bruce Almighty, but just in Italian. I wasn't sure how to react to that, but nonetheless, it does sound beautiful. Um, it's how it sounds right, not the lyrics behind it. And the second thing I learned because of my Italian girlfriend is the um, Roman Empire and the whole thumbs up, thumbs down thing. So in the film, Wacky Phoenix does a thumbs up to signify that the gladiator would be spared and a thumbs down would be to show no mercy for the gladiator. So in reality and in just Italian culture, um, it's the complete opposite. And once again, Ridley Scott knew that and the, the crew knew this as well but since a thumbs up is meant to be a good thing those days you know around the millennium it was kind of cool to put a thumbs up you know he decided to switch it so it's more in keeping with the time so I'm always interested to see how they change things for movies kind of like those two things but you'll always see these skeptics usually experts on the films matter just saying that oh, such and such isn't right but I can't say anything about the feeling I felt when the movie when I first watched it so I mean so what if the song in Italian is mumbling and so what if they got the thumb gestures wrong I mean the initial experience when I walked in there blind and trusted the vision and knowledge of Ridley Scott worked and I wouldn't change it the thumbs up does work better and the song no matter what she is saying does sound mesmerizing so there were some other inaccuracies in the movie, but you'll find these with any movies that try to depict a real time of the world kind of, you know, way before 100 years. I mean, the characters do exist, which is an interesting thing. Emperor Commodus does exist. He was actually um, killed by Narcissus, who was born in the Roman African province where Maximus became a gladiator, which is actually quite interesting. Also, in reality, like Emperor Commodus, Marcus Aurelius died of the plague, not by the hands of his own son, like depicted in the movie, but... He was sort of a rather ego-generic, just like his son in this film. I mean, the film hold does hold a lot of truths, and they do stick to certain truths in history. But in reality, I mean, in this film, but they're, they're slightly twisted to the reason of this fictitious character of Maximus um, as well. I mean, the real-life Commodus was indeed the only Roman emperor in history to fight as a gladiator in arena. So they got that spot on. However, he did it several times, not just the once. I mean, the reason he would probably win, though, was I think this was unknown to the emperor, was that the soldiers would stab their opponents or stab his opponents in the back to weaken them. I mean, the exact same way Commodus does to Maximus in this film, hence the saying being stabbed in the back. And I think it does actually derive from um, the Roman time when, um, you know, when the emperor was fighting opponents, the soldiers, without the emperor's knowledge, would stab the opponents in the back so they would make sure he'd win. But... So this was sort of a career kickstarter for commercial audiences for Joaquin Phoenix, who of course would go on to play Johnny Cash, spend two years experimenting with fame and then restarting his career after the hoax of critically acclaimed performances more recently in The Joker. But before Gladiator, he did a film called Buffalo Soldiers, great film, uh, fantastic film. And he's a child actor as well, so he was around, but Gladiator was what really put him in the map with commercial audiences. He was the only choice for Ridley Scott, he didn't consider anyone else apparently Joaquin Phoenix was so nervous about starting to shoot that scenes with like Russell Crowe and Russell Crowe found out and he had a chat with Richard Harris uh, who plays uh, Dumbledore in the first couple of movies and he simply said let's just get him blind drunk and certainly that broke the ice and his nerves for the movie I remember watching on the documentary that Ridley Scott was looking through the dailies one day and noticed that Joaquin Phoenix was gaining weight and he told this line manager about it and he went up to Joaquin the line manager and said Ridley thinks you're getting fat. And the next day, Joaquin comes in full armour and says to Ridley Scott, I hear you think I look like a little fat hamster. I thought it was the right thing to do, he said. I'm the Emperor of Rome. Why would I not look like a Ridley? Why would I not look like that? And Ridley apparently just stared at him. And the next couple of weeks, nothing was said. And Joaquin had dropped six pounds. Not sure what was said, but 
Maybe nothing, who knows, but, you know, that's the power of Ridley Scott. He definitely has a vision in his head. Like I said, Harrison Ford, you know, he worked with Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg. Then he went on to work with Ridley Scott in Blade Runner. And he was surprised that Ridley Scott was asking him to do no acting. He didn't care. He's like, you know how to act, just, you know, be in the background. All I care about is the visuals. And he was really, like, taken back from that because Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg were always very, you know, character orientated and they wanted him to be you know they're always talking to her about how do you feel about this scene what would indy do what would you know your character in um uh apocalypse now do so yeah ridley went the other way with it he's very more visual as we know from his movies um so yeah so the film had a budget of around a hundred million dollars which made it back in within two weeks of its release i mean the film ended up making over 450 million dollars worldwide a massive success the film was nominated for 12 oscars winning five of them, including Best Actor for Russell Crowe, Best Picture, Best Sound, Best Costume Design, and Best Visual Effects. Now, even though this was Hans Zimmer and Ridley Scott's most successful film personally, both got nominated for their respective crafts, director and composer, but neither of them won. There was little contra- There was a bit of a controversy with the composer nominated as well, because Lisa Gerrard also co-composed it with Hans Zimmer, but due to some like Academy regulations, whatever they were, she was denied a nomination and Hans Zimmer was solely nominated for the composing. Now, Russell Crowe even went on to say that he didn't deserve the Oscar for Best Actor and believes that the film was a director's film. And that's exactly what I was talking about. He's a visual. He's visually, uh, a, you know, that's what he does for his films. He doesn't care about the acting. He cares about how it looks. And Ridley Scott should have won it, he said. And there was no two ways around it. You know, I think Steven Sodenberg ended up winning for Traffic that year. I think the guy who went on to direct the Ocean's Eleven trilogy and any heist film under the sun. Uh, and Benicio Del Toro won his Oscar for Traffic, beating Joaquin Phoenix out. I mean, the film nominated that year were quite surprising, yet any of them could have won, to be honest. It was the year, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out. You know, that was a massive film. Uh, Chocolat came out. Traffic was the big film. And Aaron Brockovich, you know, a great year for film and especially directing, in my opinion. I mean, Gladiator, I mean, is listed 44th on IMDb's 250 best films list, which is impressive since the film came out 21 years ago. I mean, this film was also the first best picture to win and not win for editing or directing. I mean, the last time that occurred was back in 1949 when All the King's Men won, I think. It's actually quite funny because it would happen just two years later when Chicago won Best Film. So, yeah, a little trend that started with Gladiator. But, you know, also Russell Crowe was the only nominee in the Best Actor category that um, that was in the film, nominated for Best Film, which was quite rare, actually. I mean, because Chocolat and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon didn't get any actor nominees, not to mention a woman is the main character, as in, you know, in all of those films, you know, Aaron Brockovich was the main character. I mean, and Traffic had an ensemble cast, so there was no real acting leads there. It was just a lot of actors in it. You know, there was Michael Douglas, Karen Zeta-Jones, Belicia Del Toro, Don Cheadle. So there was no real, like, main actors. It's kind of like who the main actor is in The Departed. I mean, it's sort of shared there. So the actors nominated, I mean, were like Tom Hanks for Castaway, Javier Bardem for Before Nightfalls, Ed Harris for Pollock, and um, Jeffrey Rutch for Quills. I mean, none of those films got nominated, so it's an interesting sort of occurrence in the Academy Awards. So with Maximus, I mean, Tom Sizemore, um, who you might know from Seven Private Ryan, maybe. He's not one of the main guys. He, he had a drug problem, actually. But And Mel Gibson were both going to play Maximus, but eventually decided to go with uh, Russell Crowe at the end. And, you know, he proved difficult to work with. You might have heard some rumours about Russell Crowe and how difficult he, um, he is to work with, especially during Gladiator, but it did pay off. It did really pay off. He had to shed a lot of weight because um, he just finished doing The Insider, so he had to shed 40 pounds in like two months. And when a reporter asked him, how did you do that? He said, I didn't actually do anything. I just simply did my normal work on my Australian farm and it just came off. So I was like, okay, fair enough. 
With the script, that was a pain in the ass. I mean, it was constantly being rewritten, much to the annoyance of Russell Crowe, who had learned a completely new script like every morning. He even hired another writer to beef up some of the dialogue, maybe in spite for the other writers changing the screenplay every flipping day he would come on shoot. I mean, that could be very annoying. I mean, you learn your lines, and then the next morning, they're like, oh, wait, we've changed the script. Can you learn these? And, you know, you can understand why he got annoyed. So the famous line when he says, my name is Maximus, Decimus Moodyus, husband of a murdered wife, blah, blah, blah. That was given to him on the day. And he almost refused to say this because that wasn't the original monologue. And he, he he just did it because people were getting tired waiting around and him arguing with the writers and turned out to be one of the best lines in the movie. But I mean, I did watch a documentary and this happened all the time. And, you know, none of those lines actually stayed in the movie. So, I mean, this, you know, at least they got one right. And it is a very good line. I mean, the anger and emotion from Russell when saying that line is probably the rage he had with the writers, and it comes across quite well, to be honest. I mean, a scene also when Maximus is brushing his hand against the field of wheat or corn or whatever it is at the start and end of the movie, kind of like the bookend. It's not him, so stunt double. So I always find that the most incredible shots or the best lines in the movies are in the absence of the actors themselves, and that is the case in Gladiator. So, yeah, Russell Crowe calls this movie his favourite American movie. Like I said earlier, you know, it's probably one of his best films. It's one of the, well, the only film where he won his Oscar. Uh, he would actually be nominated again for uh, Beautiful Mind. The film won, but I don't think he did. Um, I think it was actually... Who won that year? I can't remember. I'm going to have to look it up. Um, so, yeah, he became really good friends with Richard Harris during the filming, but unfortunately got short because of his death in 2002, which caused the film to go into overtime with script writers and reshoots with doubles and special effects. I mean, Harry Potter, they simply recast Dumbledore after the second movie. But, yeah, Oliver Reed, however, didn't like Russell Crowe, even though he was close friends with Richard Harris. Um, Reed even challenged Russell Crowe into a fight. No idea why. <clears throat> Some macho thing going on there. I don't know. So, yeah, this is... um. Uh, Oliver Reed and Richard Harris's only film together, despite being A-listers for their time, you know, for a long time and both being close friends. So it's quite unusual for them to just do a film together right at the end of their sort of lives. But it's kind of like how Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman, they grew up together and both A-listers, but they never did a film until like 2003 with Runaway Jury. You know, that film with um, John Cusack, really good film based on a John Grisham novel. But if you take away the glamour, the visuals, the amazing special effects, which, by the way, was the only film that year to be nominated for Best Picture and also be nominated for Special Effects. I mean, the film, like most Best Picture winners, often have many themes and important messages that connote real life. And it's not every day an action epic wins Best Picture at the Oscars. And it's the reason I chose to have a look at this film more closely. I mean, most films that win Best Picture are male-dominated in the lead role, yes. And they do tend to swing towards a certain genre like biopics wars dramas and they totally wash away genres like sci-fi horror and action so when an unexpected genre does end up winning best film at the academy awards you have to look deeper and see why it's won and that's the film's kind of like worth watching like you know shape of water one that was a sci-fi film why did that win and you know people were like curious let's watch it or gladiate was another film as an epic an action movie how did an action movie win and, you know same with titanic that's why that film was so good and then you know blockbusters just don't win uh, oscars but yeah, I mean, one of the big themes, uh, I think, or messages, I should say, is the development of Maximus and his fall and rise to not glory, but revenge, justice, sort of a bookend, I mean, whatever you want to call it. But when you juxtapose him with Commodus, you know, one message is very clear that real leadership is more powerful than having a title. I mean, Maximus leads his Roman Empire. He has their respect. He has their loyalty. He becomes a slave and still manages to win the crowd's respect, loyalty and back and even the slaves respect him. But which makes that fi famous line, are you not entertained, extremely layered.
Then you have the Emperor Commodus played by Joaquin Phoenix. There's no respect there, no likability about him whatsoever. And this is the classic component of good and evil at play here. And it's a very important message this film portrays quite well. And another another theme that I don't think films get their due credit, mainly because we know they are scripted and every little detail is as planned, is the fact that everything is ridiculously unpredictable. I mean, when you separate yourself from the process of filmmaking and the craft of it and just enjoy the art they've put down for you on screen, it really does hit you with some of life lessons. I mean, no one could imagine a general would become a slave who would then rise again as a gladiator. Some people have real curveballs in life. I mean, it makes a great movie and it does in this case, but in real life, you have these curveballs in life and sometimes it's completely unpredictable, unexpected. It's not going to give you any warning. Things will just happen and you just have to adapt to it and see what happens. I mean, you just have to keep moving forward. I think... One thing I think Morgan Freeman said, I can't believe I'm quoting Morgan Freeman from Evan Almighty of all films for this podcast, but it's relevant, is, you know, comparing that film to Gladiator, but it sort of covers my point. And the theme here is he says, do you think if you pray to be rich, I'm just going to snap my fingers and make you rich? No, but what I will do is give you an opportunity to make you rich. If you're praying for a promotion at work, do you think I'll just make that happen? No, but I'll give you the opportunity to get a promotion and the same sort of thing happens in gladiator after being a general he's you know sold into the slave trade and completely demoralized and defeated mentally but he has an opportunity to use his skills as a gladiator and that's exactly what he does it's a very mislooked theme in many movies but it's a very you know it connotes life in a very strong way and another classic story being told here and again rather mislooked is the element of life isn't fair I mean, we know something's going to happen in a movie. That's the whole reason why we're invested in the story, because something unexpected happens. The, you know, the balance needs to be restored at the end. Something massive or dramatic happens. I mean, the real thing to take away from that is we know life isn't fair. It's even a silly little motto now to reassure ourselves when something goes against us and we have it easy. We move past slavery, vicious dictators, war and hand. We have healthcare, steady government kind of, and no militia or planned violence on a mass scale. We have technology that makes things a lot more streamlined. And yet, no matter how comfortable we can get, something will always go against us. You know, like a flat tire or, you know, a bit of overcharge on a bill or parking ticket. I mean, those are the things that we have to worry about now, not like slavery or dictatorship. You know, that's the essence of life. You have to expect it now. But... Now, these days, it, you know, like I said, it's not slavery or fighting against tigers. It's, it's more being stuck in traffic or someone at work annoying you. But the point isn't that life is unfair. The thing that matters is the thing that Gladiator does so well is that you just keep moving forward. I mean, yes, he's a general that becomes a slave. He has, you know, loyalty to Rome as a leading general, but becomes a slave. So, you know, how did that happen? Life isn't fair, I guess. He moves past it. He's enslaved, he's imprisoned, bought, locked up. Life isn't fair, but you move on. He moves forward from purpose now, he becomes a gladiator, he wins the crowd, things are looking up. Now he has the opportunity of redemption, revenge. He fights Commodus at the end in the duel. He gets stabbed in the back just before the fight. We're all screaming at the TV just before we think he's going to get his comeuppance. But no, life isn't fair, but he goes on and he knows what he has to do. And that is to move forward, kills Commodus and dies a hero, ending the rule over Rome by Commodus. I mean... This is a very easy theme to spot that many don't really look closer into, especially with Gladiator, the themes of not giving up, hope of, you know, the hope of succeeding, no matter how hard you have to swim against the current. And that's why these films are called epics. These are great stories when you strip everything away, and there's no argument why this film won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Well, look, 
that's, I have, that's, that's honestly all I have time for with Gladiator. I mean, I could talk about a lot more, but I shall end it there because I'm going past the time that I should be speaking. But yeah, truly a film that has resisted the test of time, and I do believe it will carry on to be a classic and be around as an entertaining, you know, just as much as an entertaining film as uh, Chariots of Fire or Ben-Hur in 30 to 40 years, like those films are to us now. So, yeah. So, yeah, please drop me a review on my iTunes, and you can also subscribe to me on there, and you can also find me on Google, Amazon, and Spotify. And uh, I'm on Instagram too, uh, film exploration, AH, all lowercase, all one word. But that's all for today, and that's all with Gladiator. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Yeah.